features of uh, being a pastor or a minister is that we get to spend uh, time with people who are ill and people who are worried about or people who are facing death. And in a previous church, I was speaking to a man who was in just that sort of situation. You know, this was a man uh, who was facing a potentially, well, serious, a potentially fatal terminal disease. And it's up to this guy. He told me that in the face of death, he had a main concern. He told me ultimately, when everything, you boil everything down, he was worried about being forgotten. He didn't want to die and not to be remembered, you know. Even worse, he didn't want to die and to be, for people to have a bad memory of him. He wanted to be remembered and he wanted to be remembered fondly. Okay, now, that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, that's probably a, a, a common desire. You know, we want to be remembered and we want to have had a sort of positive influence on the people that we've met in our lives uh, you know on the people that have lived with us and that we've encountered we want to have had a proper positive good influence on those people well this evening as we look at genesis 19 it is this idea of legacy that we're going to just be thinking about it for a short while together. Because what we find here in these verses is really the, the impact, if you like, or the influence or the legacy that Lot, eh, Abraham's nephew, leaves behind. And we're going to notice three things. Thanks. So if you haven't, please pick up your Bibles and um, turn to Genesis chapter 19, Lot and his daughters. Let's think about the first point. Let's think about the legacy of hands-free parenting. The legacy of hands-free parenting. Okay, so it's actually been a couple of weeks since we've been in Genesis as a congregation because we had Gabriel Ammon preaching uh, last week. So let's just, what's the context? What was the last thing we saw when we were in, in Genesis? Well, last time out, it was, it was kind of difficult. Last time out, we were looking at the fairness and the justice of God. And we were looking at the fact that he did not let the city of Sodom, the city of immorality, he didn't let this city escape, that he judged this place. So we looked at the fairness, the justice of God, well, this week, what we see is that those people he saved from judgment. Do you remember who he saved? He saved Lot, and he saved Lot's two kids, his two daughters. We see them run, the, the opening bit shows them sort of run from the city of refuge, this place, Zoar, and they literally run for the hills, and they go up, and they live in a cave up on the hillside. That's what we've got here. And it's then... The, the story just gets grim, <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, this is about as gritty and about as disgusting as anything else that we are going to encounter in Scripture, isn't it? Because what are we dealing with tonight? What have we got here? We've got... We've got 
daughters living in a cave with Lot and they hatch a plan and it is a plan to get their dad drunk bad enough right but then they're going to trick him into sleeping with them so you heard it right when Paul was reading it out we are dealing tonight in scripture with girls wanting to have sex with their dad it's disgusting but let's notice a couple of things here notice first of all the parallels that exist between what we've got here and the story of Noah okay see there's lots of similarities between Sodom and the situation the aftermath of Sodom and the aftermath of the flood now I'm not talking here about parallels between what we've got in scripture and the film Noah with Russell Crowe okay there's probably no parallels at all between uh, this and that nonsense okay Uh, I'm talking about parallels here in the Bible now let's think about them look in both Sodom and with Noah what you've got what have you got you've got God acting in judgment, right, over the sort of wickedness, intense wickedness of man. That's kind of obvious, right? Then in both Noah and Lot, you've got a focusing in on one guy and his family. Then it gets a bit more interesting, though, doesn't it? Because then think about this. In the immediate aftermath of the judgment, both men get drunk. Noah gets drunk. Lot gets drunk. Then in both instances, that drunkenness leads to immorality involving their children, doesn't it? Remember with Noah and his son laughing at his nakedness? And here with Law, uh, sex with his daughters? And then crucially, both of these uh, immoral acts have significant repercussions for future generations. There's loads and loads and loads of parallels going on here. Why is it like that? Well, we're being sent back to the flood because God is reminding us here that even after acts of judgment like this, even after the the flood over the earth, even after he's rained down fire from heaven on Sodom, the evil wasn't light from the face of the earth. This is a reminder here that man was after Sodom. Man still is tarnished by sin. So we see the parallels between Lot and Noah. Secondly, under this heading, this this is the main point I want us to think about here. Let's see that this immorality with Lot and his daughters is a tale of poor parenting, isn't it? Because let's think about this. Let's think about this revolting plan just for a moment. What are the daughters here wanting to do? There's an obvious answer to that, but this this isn't about sex, is it? I mean, this isn't about, this, this episode here is not about sex so much as it's about children, isn't it? I mean, that's what's going, going on here. These, these girls, the daughters of law, it's not a desire for sex that's, that's got them in this mess here. It's a desire to have children. They want kids. They want kids so that their family line will continue. They want kids so that later in life they're going to have a bit of security. Do you see it? They want kids. 
and they are willing to do absolutely anything to get kids. Now, do you see what's happened? Do you see what's going on here? As was the case with Lot and his earlier willingness to offer his kids for the sexual pleasure of the mob. Do you remember that? As was the case with that, so here the daughters are being perversely affected by the environment in which they lived. Do you see that? Lot was perversely affected by the environment of Sodom, and he just chucked his kids and said, do you want to have sex with them? Do you want to have sex with them? And it's the same here with these girls. You see, they want to have sex with their dads. Why? Because they've been brought up in Sodom. I mean, they've been exposed since a very, very early age to total immorality. And Lot, as we saw two weeks ago, Lot's done very, very little to protect them from this. They've been so affected by all of the sexual immorality that guess what? They are even engaged to be married, or were engaged to be married, to Sodomite men. This, this sexual immorality all around them has kind of infiltrated them, hasn't it? I mean, it's affecting the way they think, affecting the plans that they make. It's really, really coloring their heart. And so I guess it's kind of obvious why I made that appeal this morning for parents to come out to church tonight. Because what a warning we've got here about parenting from the pages of Scripture, don't we? But before I launch into this, let me just preface it by saying, just as I did a couple of weeks ago, that just because you might not have kids just now, or you might not have grandkids just now, it doesn't mean that this isn't relevant for you. I mean, this is relevant for you. Because whether you have kids or grandkids or whether you're just around kids in the church, we're all going to be exposed to children. This is relevant. And this is the crux of the matter. How are we planning to raise the kids and grandkids in our home? How are we planning? Are we just going to kind of sit back and hope that everything's just cool and everything just happens fine? Is that the intention? I mean, are we just going to be, as Christians, are we just going to trust not too bad's going to happen to children in in society or they're not going to learn anything too bad on the TV or at school? Is that how we're going to do it? Just sort of occasionally praying with our kids, you know? I'll pray with them occasionally. I'll I'll read them a Bible story and I'll just hope that they're not too affected by the evil of the world. You know, what will be will be. Is that our attitude? Let me read you what Proverbs says. It says, a child left to himself brings shame on his mother. See, what do we know about kids? We know that kids are so accepting, aren't they? You know, kids are so observant. They're going to pick up everything that's around. We cannot do what Lot does here. We can't just throw our kids out there. We need to to filter and we need to to guard what they experience. 
We need to protect them from, from obvious elements of wickedness. You see, if we take a step back tonight and we look at these two chapters here, Genesis 18 and Genesis 19, and we look at them, do you know what we see? We see a contrast in parenting. What Lot has not done here, the mistakes that he's made here in Genesis 19, they are being contrasted by God with what God had said to Abram about parenting in chapter 18. Do you remember what that was? God had said to Abraham, Abraham, teach your kids. Teach your kids about the righteousness and the justice of God. There's a contrast. And that helps us with what we do with our children. We are supposed to do two things. We are to teach our kids about God. And we are supposed to protect our children from wickedness and from evil. And let me say, we're supposed to do that not so that they get a good job. Who cares? You know? And it's not so that they will be sort of upstanding members of society. Because again, really, ultimately, from a maternal perspective, we do this. We teach our kids about God. We protect them from evil so that they might learn to love Jesus Christ. That they might seek to do all things for his glory. Lot failed. He failed to protect his kids. What a legacy he leaves there. Let's raise our children in a manner pleasing. Pleasing to God. So the legacy of hands-free parenting. Okay. Let's move on. A second heading. The legacy of sibling influence. Okay, I'm guessing that many of us in the room tonight are either uh, either have or are an older brother or sister. Okay. And despite the fact that certainly in my case it is common for us to argue with our, with our siblings... It's probably true that whether we like it or not, an older sibling can be a, a, an example, an influence on our lives, right? And it almost goes without saying. Well, the Bible gives us lots of examples of sibling rivalry, doesn't it? Um, Cain and Abel is the obvious one, and Isaac and Esau, or you know, so on. But I don't want us to think about sibling rivalry just now. Because I want us to think about what we've got in front of us. Because what we've got here in Genesis 19 is actually a, a fascinating and also a very subtle example of sibling influence. Isn't it, Lot and his daughters? What do I mean? Well, let's go back into our cave up this mountainside and let's think about what happens next. So, so we've, we've seen what the girls' intentions were, Okay. But what is just remarkable is that they don't just intend to do this. They, they do this plan. Okay, so one night into the next, the daughters go in and they sleep with their dad. Now, what I want you to see from Scripture is where the initiative for this disgusting plan comes from. So if you've got your Bibles open... Look with me at verse 31. Think about where the initiative comes from here. 
Verse 31. One day, the older daughter said to the younger. So do you see the, the initiative? It's coming from the older sibling to the younger. Then, if your eyes are still down, look at verse 34. Do you see the pressure? The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you, you, you go in. This time you go in and lie with him. Do you see? So all over this section of scripture, we've got the, the older sister. We've got the older sibling sort of putting on this pressure, putting the younger one into uh, immorality and into sin. And so we've already seen something about the legacy of ill-thought-out parenting. So what I want us to think about here is the legacy that we, as Christian siblings, leave behind. The influence that we, you, me, the influence that we can have on our younger Christian sisters and brothers. And of course, this is going to be of particular relevance to you if you've been a Christian for a few years now, if you've been a Christian for a while. And what I want to do, I did this last week in the sermon, and I want to do something similar. I want us to wrestle with three questions, very short questions, but three questions about how we influence the people in our congregation, how we influence younger siblings. Three questions. First one, think about this. How do we speak in front of younger brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we speak in front of them? Do we keep a tight rein on our tongue? as James tells us to do in his epistle. Do we do that? Are we gentle in our speech, as we are told to be in Proverbs? Or is that a million miles away from what we are like? Are we gentle or are we talking ill of other Christians? Are we maybe even moaning about other believers behind people's back, but in front of younger impressionable Christians. Which is it? How do we speak? Scripture tells us that we always must speak with grace. Do we do that? That's the first question. Second question, similar. How do we speak? Second one, how do we act in front of younger Christian siblings? How do we act? You see, I think we have, certainly in this church, a wonderful opportunity. We've got a chance as older Christians to set an example for the young in faith of how to serve the Lord. So there's our opportunity. The question is, do we, are we taking that chance? Are we taking that opportunity? So we need to ask ourselves, are, are we humbly eagerly sort of demonstrating a willingness to serve God and to serve the people of the congregation. Does that sound like us? Is that what we're doing? Is there humility? Is there an eagerness in Christian service? Or is there maybe a reluctance 
Is there a sort of grudging attitude to the way that we live for Christ? James again says this. He says, who is wise among you? Let him show it. How? By his good conduct in the humility that comes from wisdom. So how do we speak in front of young believers? How do we act in front of young believers? Here's the third question. Where do we go with our younger brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Where do we go with these people? Do you see what I mean? Um, We spend time, or we at least, I think, should spend time with those who are younger in faith or those people who haven't been Christians for as long as we are. We spend time with these people. But where are we taking these people? Where do we go with them? Are we maybe going to places where, okay, we're not going to be tempted because we're older Christians? But are we taking people to places where they might be tempted? Are we doing that? Or could it maybe be said about us that we are doing people spiritual good? Could it be said about you that you are taking younger Christians to places of Christian fellowship, to the prayer meeting, or to the house groups and Bible studies, and to Christian services. Where do we take younger siblings? You see, what we've got in Genesis 19 is an example to avoid. We've got an older sister, and she is leading her younger sister astray in spiritual terms, we've got to watch that we do not do the same thing. So let's be older Christian siblings that leave a lasting and Christ-centered legacy. So the legacy of hands-free parenting, the legacy of sibling influence. This is our last one, third heading. The legacy of countless, countless errors. Now, about this time last year, there was a guy in the congregation by the name of Andrew. And uh, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, Andrew was employed by the United States Department of Defense. Uh, I probably shouldn't be saying this online, actually. Uh, But he was, his specialist field was history. He was... um, Uh, a a Persian historian, an expert in Middle Eastern and Persian history. And so he was employed by the Department of Defense and he was sent off to Afghanistan uh, to sort of advise them and to help them to understand the sort of the roots of hostility toward the West. You know, he was supposed to advise them, where did all this come from? You know, where is all this enmity and hostility toward the West come from. So that's Andrew. But this section of scripture that we've got here kind of functions in the same way as Andrew. Because we're supposed to read about Lot and his daughters. And we're supposed, one of the main things we're supposed to get are the origins of hostility, the historical origins of hostility toward the ancient people of God, the ancient people of Israel. So what have we got? Well, we've seen the pretty gruesome fact that the girls sleep with their dad. 
But the story unfolds, and as it ends, we actually find that it's a disgusting plan. But it's a good plan in the sense that it works. Because both girls become pregnant by their dad. Both girls are boys. One, the older one has a child, Moab, who fathers the Moabites. This is important. The younger girl fathers a child called Ben-Ami, who is the father of the Ammonites. Now, here's what I want us to think about as we close. Please think about the overall legacy that Lot leaves. We've looked at Lot for the last few chapters of Scripture. This is the last time that this guy is mentioned in Genesis. We're not going to come back to Lot here. What do you think of Lot? We've had a bit of interaction here with Lot. Does he strike you as a good guy? I mean, it's a pretty atrocious example that this guy leaves. Let's think, think about him. We encountered this guy. <laughs> we encountered him, and he, he and Abraham had so many animals and so many flocks that the land couldn't sustain him. Now where's the guy? He's living in a cave. Okay, so things have not gone particularly well there. Then remember the fact that Lot was given opportunity. You can live anywhere you want, Lot. You know, he's given, he can choose it. Where does he choose to live? He chooses to live with rapists. And he chooses to live with the immoral. So again, not cool, right? And he starts off, and we are supposed, we're introduced to him as Abraham's nephew. We are introduced to this man who is in the family line of the father of nations, you know? And now look at this guy. Look at him. He is incestuously fathering two kids, Moab, ben who are going to go on to become the traditional enemies, the hated people, the enemies of Israel. What a legacy this guy leaves. So here's my question for you. What legacy are you going to leave as a Christian? What overall influence are you going to have? What's it going to be? Are you going to be like this guy, like Lot? You know, you're going to be this sort of selfish, materialistic, flimsy believer. Is that all it's going to be? Or are you going to leave a different legacy to that? Are you going to leave your family and your friends a spiritual legacy? A legacy that doesn't point to yourself, but a legacy that points to the name of Jesus Christ. Which legacy are you going to leave? And last thought. Perhaps you're not a Christian. And perhaps you're worried about the legacy of your sin. Perhaps you're worried about what happened to you because of who you are and what, you're, what, have you, what you've done. Well, is what you've done worse than this? You know, worse than sleeping with your daughters? Is it? You see, what scripture tells us 
is that God used even this minging, disgusting situation here. God used it. Because who is the eldest son that's born here? It's Moab. Moabite. Who was a Moabite in Scripture? We read about it recently. Ruth. She marries Boaz. They have a child. Who stands as the direct descendant of Ruth? That's right. Jesus Christ. You see, God can use these things. God can use your mistakes. Christ can redeem you regardless of what sin you think you've committed. He can redeem you. Friends, if you are worried about being remembered tonight, if that's something that bothers you, I ask you just to think of Lot as you go home. Because Scripture tells us that this man, who is a mess of a guy, Scripture tells us that he was righteous. That this was a man, even he, could be saved. So if we bow to Christ, our legacy, even despite all our mistakes, our legacy can be a great one. Because it can be a legacy found in Jesus Christ. We will be remembered because we will be in Christ, remembered by the Lord. Let us pray.